welcome to the Super High Yield Anesthesia Podcast, where we will discuss high yield concepts for students on their anesthesia rotation. I am your host, Scott, the fourth year medical student. Thanks for tuning in to episode 11 of the Super High Yield Anesthesia Podcast. And today we're going to talk about airway management. And the basic outline of this episode is we're going to start off with talking about the anatomical considerations when securing the airway. Then we're going to talk about different airway techniques and the equipment associated with it. So, for example, we're going to talk about the adjunct airway tools. We're going to discuss the laryngeal mask airway or the uh, LMA. We're going to talk about direct laryngoscopy, fiber optic intubation, and we're going to close up this episode with rapid sequence intubation and physiologic responses to intubation. I'm not going to actually describe the steps to the procedures because I think watching videos on YouTube or just seeing it in person will be very beneficial to you. So instead, I'll just be talking about the different equipment and ways to secure the airway just to give you an idea of what they are. And I'll talk about different like tips and tricks for each of those things. And speaking of YouTube videos, I would highly recommend the YouTube channel Dr. Gallagher's Neighborhood. I believe he's an anesthesiologist who's also trained in critical care. And he has this uh, video series to teach airway techniques to um, critical care fellows. Okay, and with that, let's go ahead and get started. We're first going to talk about the anatomical considerations when securing a patient's airway. I'm sure you've at least done this during your uh, CPR training where you've been taught to place the patient in the sniffing position. So essentially, you're going to extend the patient's neck. And by doing so, you're basically opening up the airway and creating like a straight line from the mouth straight down the trachea. And this allows for better air movement and airflow. So specifically, when you extend the patient's neck, you're anteriorly displacing the mandible. So then it gets it out of the way and you're able to access the airway. And this next point is high yield for boards and uh, real life. So if the patient has a history of rheumatoid arthritis and or Down syndrome, you want to be careful when you're intubating these patients or manipulating the neck and the airway because these patients have a higher risk of having atlantocipital instability. So you don't want to be aggressive and cause a subluxation of the neck. And lastly, as a reminder, uh, don't forget to narrate what you're seeing as you're intubating a patient to the rest of your team, just so everyone's on the same page. And if you like a review of the airway anatomy, highly recommend you to check out episode two of this podcast. 
Now we're going to talk about the different airway techniques and equipment. So first up on our list is the adjunct airway tools. And this consists of the oral airway and the nasal airway. So the main point of using adjunct airway tools is to always keep the airway open. So for the oral airway, you're using it to prevent obstruction by tissues like the tongue. And these adjunct airway tools are especially useful when you're having trouble uh, mask ventilating a patient. So one important skill is to select the correct size of the adjunct airway tools. So for the oral airway, you're basically going to measure the size of it by measuring from the mouth to the angle of the mandible. So what you can do is you pick up any oral airway and kind of just place it next to the patient's mouth and like side of the face. And if it fits correctly, so as in like it fits between the midpoint of the incisors and it reaches the angle of the mandible, then it fits properly. And if you like a picture of this, uh, definitely check out the show notes or just Google it. And for the nasal airway, you're going to measure the tube from the lateral edge of the nose to the tragus of the ear. And basically, you can just place the, the tube next to the patient's face to see if it's the correct size or not. And the downside of using a nasal airway is that it could cause epicstasis. Okay, so that was the adjunct airway tools. And now we're going to talk about mask ventilation. And you've likely heard this before, but mask ventilation is commonly regarded as the most important skill to learn. So definitely by the time you're done with the rotation, be a master of this skill. Like if there's any skill you learned, make sure it's this one. And mask ventilation is the one where you place the mask on the patient's face and then you're going to oxygenate them by squeezing the bag. Now, there are different factors that could affect a mask ventilation success. And some of this includes having a high BMI, having a lot of facial hair, and a history of snoring. So regarding the BMI and history of snoring, basically you have a high risk of tissue occluding the airway. So it's going to be more difficult to deliver uh, oxygen. And regarding the facial hair, if there's lots of hair on the patient's face, it's going to be harder to create a seal with a mask. And there's a few ways you can confirm you're masking the uh, patient correctly. And first is if you see the chest rise. Two is if you hear breath sounds bilaterally. And three, if capnography confirms it. Now I'm just going to give you guys a few tips and tricks regarding mask ventilation. So when you're giving breaths, only give enough to a point where you see the chest rise because if you do it too much or too rapidly, uh, one, it could cause barotrauma from the increased pressure. 
And two, if you do it too rapidly, it could cause gastric inflation. Next is instead of pushing the mask into the face, think of it trying to pull the face into the mask. Because I don't know if you experienced this when you were practicing on a mannequin for CPR or if you're actually doing it on a person. But if you try to push the mask onto the face, like really compress it, what you're doing is closing up the airway because when you're pushing down the face, if you notice like the, the neck is going to be flexed, right? So the harder you try to push it down, the more occluded the airway is going to be. So think of pulling the face into the mask to create a good seal. And a technique that could improve mask ventilation in patients with a higher BMI is to elevate the head of the table. And another tip is you can also turn the patient's head to the side. So rotate it to one side or another, and that could help with the mask ventilation as well. And lastly, if you use adjunct airway tools like we just discussed, that could help uh, open up the airway and improve the mask ventilation. Next is the laryngeal mask airway, or commonly referred to as the LMA. And this is the airway tool that kind of looks like one of those sponges on a stick, like the ones where you can like fill the, the handle with uh, dish soap and then you like scrub things with it. That's what it looks like to me. Though I can assure you they are not the exact same thing. They have very different purposes. Okay, and the LMA, it covers the entire airway. So basically cups over like the epiglottis and the, the trachea. And because of this, there's no need for direct visualization when you're placing the LMA. And there's lots of different variations on placement. Like there's a lot of people that say you can put it in backwards and then rotate it. So you can put it in from the side and then rotate it. Um, but according to Dr. Gallagher's Neighborhood, he says you can just put it straight in and that should work just fine. So it seems to be just a matter of personal preference. So indications for using an LMA it's essentially if you have a difficult time masking and or intubating a patient and you need to secure the airway. Relative contraindications to the LMA is if the patient has an increased risk for aspiration because the LMA does not form a perfect seal. So it does not uh, protect the airway from aspiration. Another relative contraindication is uh, particularly long procedures and procedures that require positive pressure ventilation. So that was the LMA. And now we're going to talk about the direct laryngoscopy and tracheal intubation. And it's great for various reasons. Some of them being it reduces the risk of aspiration and it's has the greatest capability for positive airway pressure via uh, mechanical ventilation. There are two types 
of the Ringo Scope blades. One is the Mac blade and the Miller blade. The Mac blade is the one that is curved and the Miller blade is the one that is straight. And definitely look up a picture of this just so you know what they look like. And the method of observing the airway will be slightly different if you're using the Mac blade versus the Miller blade. So for the Mac blade, if you recall from your uh, airway anatomy, you're going to go for the vallecula. So that's the region between the tongue and the epiglottis because you slide your Mac blade into that area and slightly push on it. It forces the epiglottis to pretty much slide, not slide, but pop open. So you think of those trash cans where you step on the pedal and then the, the lid opens. That's generally speaking what is happening when you place the Mac blade into the vallecula versus the Miller blade where you kind of just lift up the entire thing. So you're going to pick up the epiglottis and you're going to lift it open so you can place the AT tube. And the common blade size for the Mac blade is three and the Miller is size two. And here's a little mnemonic that can help you remember which blade is which and helps you remember which is the common size for each blade. So to remember which blade is rich, if you think Mac, there is a C in Mac and the C is curved. So it's the one with the curved blade. And also you can think C for curved. And for the Miller blade, there are a bunch of L's in the word and the L is straight. So it's a straight blade and the mnemonic to remember the size, Mac has three letters. So the size three is the most common and Miller has two L's. So the most common size is size two. I hope that mnemonic helps you guys. I was pretty proud of it when I came up with it. So cool. And to confirm the correct placement of the ET tube, basically you're going to aim about 21 to 23 centimeters deep. And you can confirm the placement by auscultating the bilateral lungs at the apex and bilateral lung bases, uh, as well as the epigastric region, just to make sure you didn't place it into the esophagus. You can also confirm placement with the entitled CO2. And if you're confirming it with a chest x-ray, you're looking for about five centimeters above the carina. And the carina is like the branch point between the left and right bronchus. So tips for manipulating the laryngoscope blades, like the Mac and Miller, specifically for the Mac, you're going to start by inserting the blade on the patient's right side of the mouth. And then you're gonna sweep the, the tongue over to the, to the left. This next one, I didn't really see it in textbooks or videos or anything, but I learned it from an anesthesiologist that I worked with. 
and that's instead of placing the ET tube like directly midline, you actually start by placing it on the side. And that actually helps like not only see what you're doing, but also it, for some reason it just goes in a lot easier as opposed to going for midline. Next is if you have any difficulty lifting the the airway, you could use your right hand to support the head and that takes the load off and you're able to manipulate the airway a little bit better. And that one I actually learned from an emergency medicine doc. And lastly, when you're lifting the airway, don't rock the blade, don't pull straight up. Aim for like the corner of the room ahead of you. So if you draw a straight line from the handle of the laryngoscope and just go straight to the corner, that's the direction you want to lift the airway. And if the airway is particularly difficult, there's lots of different video assisted methods. So for example, a glidescope, there's a camera on the laryngoscopy blade and it can directly show you in real time what is going on. Now that we talked about direct laryngoscopy and mentioned video assistance with that, we're going to quickly talk about the fiber optic intubation. So it's basically using a scope that's similar to things you use in bronchoscopies, uh, endoscopies, and colonoscopy. It's like a scope that you're able to manipulate with controls. And it also has like the ability to blow air out of the scope or like the ability to suction up any liquids. So it's pretty cool. Okay. We're almost done with this episode. Thanks for hanging in there. Next, we're going to talk about the rapid sequence innervation. And this is done in cases where risk of aspiration is extremely high. So you need to get the ET tube in as soon as possible. So examples of this include trauma, severe GERD, uh, patients with severe diabetes with decreased gastric emptying, that sort of thing. And the primary difference between regular intubation and rapid sequence intubation is that there's no face mask of inhalation because you want to decrease the risk of aspiration. And you also would be placing cricoid pressure the entire time. So the anterior pressure helps to manually close the esophagus. And lastly, we'll briefly discuss physiological responses to intubation. So autonomic considerations is the patient could have hypertension and tachycardia if the, they are intubated under light anesthesia. And you can prevent this by using glidocaine, opioids, beta blockers, and or intubate the patient when they're under heavier anesthesia. And the last physiological response to intubation we'll discuss is laryngospasms. And the spasm is caused by a reflex due to the superior laryngeal nerve. And to prevent this, you can extubate the patient when they're fully asleep or fully awake. And to treat laryngospasms, you can give general positive pressure ventilation, give oxygen, and IV lidocaine. 
All right. And that concludes this episode on airway management. And today's joke is brought to you by BoardPanda.com. And it goes, I bought some shoes from a drug dealer. I don't know what he laced them with, but I was tripping all day. Thanks for listening. This is Scott, the fourth year medical student, and I look forward to seeing you in the next episode.